This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So by now you've heard me talk about the benefits of microdosing. And if not, just know that all sorts of people, myself included, are microdosing to boost their mood, fall asleep more easily, and even help with pain and workout recovery. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. And Microdose Gummies deliver the perfect entry-level dose of THC to help you feel just the right amount of good without getting high from just one microdose. It's like the sweet spot between CBD and THC that gives you the benefits of both. Decreased anxiety, a mood lift, and a good night's rest. Microdose gummies are legal everywhere in the United States and are made with high-quality organic ingredients infused with Oregon-grown berries. You can really taste the difference in quality. Every flavor I've tried is great. I especially love them to help me wind down at the end of a long, stressful day. Now, Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to Microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes. But again, that's Microdose.com and code MONSTERSAMONGUS. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that spider with a human face. It's a pleasure to have you back here this evening for another spooky episode. I'm sure more than a few of you have yourselves a Halloween hangover. But hopefully you're not burned out on the creepy, the scary, the bizarre, and the macabre. Because I have a great little program assembled for you this evening. An array of true, personal, paranormal stories that I promise will put your hairs on end. So let's get started, shall we? 
hailing from the state of Pennsylvania. Please welcome Jim to tonight's program. Hey there, Derek. It's Jim from Southwestern PA. I was just listening to Season 8, Episode 2, and I heard Alexis's account of the pterodactyl-like creature around Pennsylvania. Now, I'm about maybe an hour southwest, southwest of uh, Pittsburgh, and um, my little town is kind of right along the Monongahela River. So I want to say I saw something similar. This was about probably like between 2007, 2009, I was visiting a friend at the time and lived down there, kind of not right on the river, but the, I mean, the houses were maybe, you know, half a mile off of the, you know, the actual riverside. Anyways, driving around there, a bunch of, you know, Pennsylvania, windy hills, roads, back roads kind of deal. And lots of big, tall hills, so I'm kind of in this valley, coming up through this valley, if you will. And I'm just like, you know, driving, looking up, and I see the largest bird I've ever seen, largest flying creature I've ever seen. And, you know, we have, like, vultures and uh, some of the larger hawks and stuff like that around here. But, I mean, this thing was bigger than that. It was, I can't really guesstimate. I don't want to give any false numbers or false size kind of things, but it was big. And the best way I can describe it is it looked like it had the, the almost like the typical tail where it looks skinny and kind of comes down to a bigger point towards the end. Now, when I talk to other people about this, they say, oh, you know, it could have been, you know, picked up a snake, snake had something close to the end of its mouth or, or, you know, digesting something that was still basically just like a big lump. Totally possible. But the best thing I could say about it is the, the wing profile. It had more of the sharp angular, I don't know how you would call it, almost like more like a bat wing kind of deal. Not precisely that, but I guess if you would think of a pterodactyl and the way the underside of the wings look, especially when it comes up to, like, reconnect to their body on the side, it it looked like that. That's the best thing I could say. You know, it had these sharp angles that, you know, maybe something more like a falcon or a peregrine you would expect to see. But again, it it was big. So not sure where in Pennsylvania Alexis saw everything, but I figured, you know, Maybe it was just a bigger bird that I hadn't seen before carrying some food. Totally possible. It was kind of high up in the, I'm going to say maybe, I don't know, 60, 70 feet, you know, for me driving up in the air. But anyways, like uh, I said before, I said again, Derek, thanks so much for uh, what you're doing. After I started listening to your show, I kind of finally worked up the courage to get involved in investigations myself and just completed my first one tonight and I've been honestly just kind of just wanted to say thank you you know hearing stories hearing other people validate their experiences kind of gave me more courage to be like yeah there is some stuff going on and I want to know and I want to be part of the group of people that finds out so thank you for you know giving everyone the platform thank you for I guess giving people like us the the courage to say you know enough people are having these experiences clearly I'm not crazy (laughs) thanks again man looking forward to everything else you do and hopefully I'll be joining up on Patreon soon for you guys. But thanks again. Keep up the great work. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Jim. Now that's not too far from my childhood home. About 75 miles as the Thunderbird flies. And that is what it seems like Jim is describing here. A Thunderbird. A spiritual entity first observed by this continent's First Nations. And here's a version of the Thunderbird legend, as told by an elder of the whole tribe of Western Washington State, courtesy 
of EDM. Prepare over on YouTube. The story of the Thunderbird and the whale is one of our oral history stories. The Thunderbird lives in the glacier at the headwaters of the Olympic Mountains. And the whale, we all know, lives in the Pacific Ocean. So when the Thunderbird comes out, he may not even be looking for a whale or whale hunting, but he'll go out to the sea. Usually we can hear him coming with the thunder and the lightning. And grandfather used to say, he's coming. We can hear him. He's going a long ways. He's not stopping. When he gets to the water, he'll flap his wings. And if he flaps them hard and goes down, the water will come up and cause the tsunami. And the faster and the harder the Thunderbird comes down and lifts quickly, the wave will be bigger. But if he's going sawatik far away, we'll barely hear the thunder and see the lightning. But you know, Washington State is a distance from the Pittsburgh area. And the bird in the native legend doesn't sound like what was reported by Jem and countless others in his area, though the name stays the same. Now these days, the word Thunderbird seems to have a different meaning. Instead of a spiritual, godlike being, the contemporary Thunderbird appears to be instead flesh and blood. And the reports are anything but consistent. People describe the Thunderbird as a large bird, usually black in color from the beak to the, uh, the talons. Um, sometimes it's covered in feathers, sometimes not, but usually when it's covered in feathers, as I said, it's black. Um, sometimes they describe a white ring around its neck, other times no. Um, when it's not covered with feathers, they usually describe it having like a membrane, like a reptilian membrane or like a, a leathery type of skin to it. Um, and the wingspan it ranges in size from 8 foot and I've heard reports as much as 20 foot in length. A very large, large bird. Now that clip courtesy of the television program Boogeyman and features a researcher local to that area, Eric Altman. And as you heard, the descriptions can vary. But it seems that many of the encounters occur much the same way. Outside of Greensburg, um, Pennsylvania, South Greensburg, not far from where I'm at, and um, there was an incident where um, several people were out in their backyard and they were uh, having a barbecue. This was August 26th of 2010, actually, in the evening. And all of a sudden, they suddenly heard this loud, like, swooshing, whooshing sound right above them. And right above them, right over top of the tree, about 30 or 40 feet overhead, is this massive bird. And they got an extremely good look at this thing. Uh, very, very big wingspan. They watched it as it moved down the road. They said the beak, you could see the beak just looking downwards at them. And uh, 
they estimated this thing would have stood about four feet tall or so, at least four or four and a half feet tall if it was standing up. And what's so interesting is that in September of 2001, only probably about a quarter mile down the road on a main highway in South Greensburg, a populated area, but there was a lot of woods around there, um, a fellow was walking down there, heard the sound that caused him to look up in the sky, and he said it sounded like flags flapping in a thunderstorm to see this huge, gigantic bird. Uh, he estimated with a wingspan of 10 to 15 feet, about 50 to 60 feet above the traffic on that road. And he watched as that bird went down the road and landed in this big tree. And when it took off, he said it was amazing because he thought those huge branches were going to bend and break. And that was only a short distance where the other sighting happened um, more recently. Now that's the voice of another prominent paranormal investigator from the southwest Pennsylvania area, Stan Gordon. And the clip was taken from an upload by YouTube user Possum Kicker, which I hope is not literal. I was actually unable to identify where the initial interview took place. If you happen to know, let me know and I'll update the show notes. Anyway, the point here is that Jim is not alone. Far from it, in fact. There have been dozens, if not more, encounters reported in the area. Folks around those parts are seeing something large in the skies. Is it a mythical tsunami-causing godlike entity? Or an undiscovered species of bird or flying reptile? Or, as I suspect, a very large known species of bird? Maybe one that's grown much larger than the known scientific limits. For example, a turkey vulture, which is indigenous to the area, has a wingspan of six feet, according to the researchers observing these things. But, what if they're wrong? What if the bird can grow up to eight, 10, 12, 15 feet in wingspan? They just simply haven't found one. I don't know. That, to me, by definition, would be a monster. So whatever it is flying around the bottom left half of the Keystone State, it seems to be upsetting a lot of people. People like Jim. People that seem to be seeing something strange in the Pennsylvania skies. Thank you again, Jim, for sharing that entry. Now, if you're like Jim and you saw something unusual that you just can't explain, give our hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or simply record your story on your phone and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, next up, we visit with Cindy. She has a tale for us out of the Philippines. Welcome to the program, Cindy. Hi, my name is Cindy. I just wanted to leave a voicemail and kind of share my story since I'm still kind of new to the podcast, but I've just been speeding through the episodes and I figured I would share my story. My story took place in the 80s. I had been about five years old, but I remember this incident like it was yesterday. I lived in the Philippines before I came and um, moved to the U.S. with my parents. 
We lived in this house that was, I think it was near a military base or something like that. But our family would come down from the countryside, you know, come visit us often. And so there was always family around us. There was a time there before we had moved to the U.S. that uh, my mom's cousin, who she was very close with, died very suddenly. And I think it was, I don't know the manner in which he passed away, but I believe it was pretty sudden and tragic. And my mom was very close to this cousin, so she was very distraught and upset. And she was off doing something. I don't know if she was doing something to help with the funeral, but my grandma was there with me with my cousin who's a couple years older than me. We were doing something in the kitchen and I happened to say this cousin's name out loud, the one who had just passed uh, very suddenly. And my grandma looked at me and she said, you know, he just passed. You shouldn't say his name. Now, the Philippines, you know, we're very superstitious people. We have a lot of interesting superstitions. One of those, I guess, is you shouldn't say someone's name uh, who had just recently passed, like, out loud. I believe that has something to do with maybe their soul hasn't quite passed on to the afterworld yet. So anyways, being the little ornery, you know, kid that I was, just looked at her and I said his name again, almost like challenge to my grandma, which is really strange. It's very out of the ordinary for me. I'm usually a people pleaser and I don't usually push buttons uh, or challenge, especially my grandma. And my grandma just looked at me and said, you know, his name again. And I looked over at my cousin and she, you know, her eyes were big and she looked at me like, don't do it. <laughs> but again, being an ornery little kid that I was, repeatedly said his name over and over again. Now, I have to say, I don't recall his name ever. I'm 38 years old right now and I cannot remember his name to save my life, um, which I think is very strange. Anyways, so... My grandma at that point just kind of threw up her hands and she goes, okay, I guess he's going to come visit you. And and I didn't think anything else of that. So later on, it's the same day later on that night, I have, you know, a lot of family over at our house. You know, it's getting late. Um, my mom hadn't come home yet. So I decided I'm going to go lay down in the bed. So I go in one of the bedrooms. And I have an uncle laying on a cot on the floor next to the bed, and I have a cousin in the bed. Um, and I just crawl up into the bed next to my cousin. I'm just laying there. And I'm just kind of waiting for sleep to come. And I'm drawn to the wall that's furthest from the bed. It's just the one right across from the bed. And I'm just drawn to it. I'm just looking at it. And I feel like my eyes are getting drowsy. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Out of All of a sudden, I see this figure walk out of the wall and it was very clearly a man and I immediately knew that it was my mom's cousin's spirit ghost I don't know and he was dressed in what I, I don't know why I knew but I was like oh he's still dressed in his burial clothing because it was you know again this was the 80s and you know, being in the Philippines, we're a little behind on the fashion times uh, at that time. So he was wear wearing one of those, like, almost like tuxes with, like, the frilly front shirts, like, that they wore maybe in the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. And, you know, his hair was very nicely done. And I don't remember feeling scared. I just remember being in shock. 
so I'm laying in the bed and I watch this figure of this ghost walk towards the foot of the bed that I'm laying in and it's very clearly in my head I know it's my mom's deceased cousin and again I'm not scared but I'm just kind of in shock so he walks up to the foot of the bed and he just stands there for a moment and he does this left to right sweep with his right hand like he's just waving and he's just saying hi And I was like frozen and just laying there like I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I did kind of try to snap out of it. And I remember trying to wake up my cousin who was laying next to me and was like, you know, trying to get him to wake up. Of course, he's like mumbling and he's just like, go to sleep. I'm I'm, I'm tired. So he's not budging. And I'm just laying there just watching this figure. And then he walks. He turns left and then he comes walking up past the side of the bed that I'm on and he's just still looking straight ahead and I'm watching him with my eyes as he's passing right next to me and then he goes through the wall in the wall like that my bed was up against and I just remember being just again just shocked I wasn't scared I was just in shock like I couldn't believe what I had just seen so the very next morning my mom is finally home and she's having you know coffee with my auntie at the table in the dining room and I was so excited I was like mommy never believe who I saw last night he came and visited me just like you know my grandma said he was gonna come visit me and I told her who came to visit me and again I can't remember his name but she was just shocked and I remember her getting very upset and I didn't understand because I was you know so young at the time I didn't realize why she was so upset but it's really interesting because even as an adult I'm 38 years old right now but even as an adult when I try to talk to my mom about this incident that happened when I was young she refuses to talk about it like it scares her or it really bothers her or something I cannot get her to speak about it So anyways, that's my story. Again, I know I was young, but I remember it like it was yesterday. So I hope you can use the story. I love your podcast and you take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Cindy. You know, that's something I struggle with as well. I always feel strange bringing up folks I know that have passed on. It makes me feel a bit uncomfortable unsettled and downright I guess bummed out not to say that I don't think about them constantly but saying their names out loud is a whole nother ordeal probably something for a therapist to unpack I suppose anyway perhaps that practice has served me well however because of Cindy's story is any indicator not mentioning the deceased is a great way to avoid an unwanted visit. So thank you again, Cindy, for the cautionary tale. The stories that come out of the Philippines always seem to be wildly entertaining and downright spooky. So thank you again for continuing that tradition. Let's venture on to the Buckeye State, the Queen City to put a pin on it. Brad from Cincy, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Derek. This is Brad from Ohio, and I have a UAP or UFO, whatever term you want to use, sighting. Well, I think it was a UAP. I had no idea what it was. This was back in January of this year, about maybe 4 p.m., maybe 4.30 on a Saturday afternoon. Not a cloudy day, but just kind of a dreary day. Sky was gray, not a cloud in sight. And I was driving home on a side road, kind of like a back road to where my neighborhood is. A little bit of traffic, so just kind of sitting in my car. Car's not really moving that much. And I'm looking out the front window of my car, and I notice in the top left-hand corner, oh, there's something there. So I'm looking at it, and it's a just like a silver pinball, just not moving, just kind of hovering up there, up in the sky about airplane level. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell from the ground, but yeah, this thing just had no discernible features, no kind of vapor trail or anything like that, no wings, and it looked like it was reflecting sunlight, which was weird because there was no sun anywhere to be had on this day. As I said, it was kind of a just a gray day in January in Ohio. I'm sure you know how those are. So I'm looking at this, and I kind of lean over to see, get a better look to see if there's anything else around it. And I notice that there's a, kind of on the other side of the window, there's a just a passenger plane and I can kind of tell that they're both at roughly the same level of altitude however the passenger plane was dark it had no reflective surface whatsoever like the UAP or UFO had and I could tell it was moving and it was maybe just a little bit bigger than what this silver ball UFO was and the silver ball UFO was just not moving whatsoever So I kind of had a frame of reference for the size and if this thing was moving at all. Then after about 30, maybe 45 seconds, you know, I'm trying to keep my eyes on the road as well. And I look up and it's completely gone. Like I'm sticking my head out all the windows trying to see like where this thing went to. And I still see the plane, you know, the plane was moving, but this thing was just gone. Absolutely as if in an instant it was there and then all of a sudden it's gone. So just a little bit of a strange phenomenon. It was about maybe 38, 40 degrees that day in January. Like I said, no clouds in the sky. I do live roughly 10 miles from a small airport. Like this isn't like a 747 kind of airport. It's more like the uh, passenger jets for like 20 people, like little Cessna planes and stuff like that. But Never seen anything like this before, so just thought I'd report this, and yeah, if you have any idea what it could be, awesome, but all I know is it was a strange encounter that I had, and yeah, <laughs> thank you, and have a good day. Thanks, Brad. Well, Cincinnati is only about 60 miles south-southwest of the infamous Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, so if one were wanting to see something unusual... It certainly would be a great city to set a post in. As for the object sighted, we've heard plenty of stories about these metallic orbs seen harassing military pilots and recorded by military surveillance cameras. 
but I must say that this encounter reminds me of the Bet Sphere, a metallic orb found in the forest of Florida by a random family. A sphere with odd characteristics. For more on that, visit Season 7, Episode 7. Or stick around for the next few episodes, because I fully plan on doing a deeper dive on that story in the next few weeks. Oddly, it keeps popping up. But outside of all that, these strange orbs are a mystery. No obvious method of propulsion. No obvious mode of steering the craft. If you can even call it that. It's just a silver ball, varying in size, zipping across our open skies. Nothing to see here, folks. Nothing at all. Thank you again, Brad, for sharing your experience. Now, if I'm honest, this next call features a phenomenon I'm not all that familiar with. So Ellen will fill you in further. The situation I am about to tell you is 100% true. My name is Ellen. I am now 73 years old. It happened my sophomore year in high school, 1963-1964. Over all this time, I have only told two people, my sister and my brother. Why? Because I felt no one would ever believe it happened. Growing up, I lived with my family in our house in a town outside of Boston. My sister, who was in the eighth grade at the time, and I always shared the same bedroom upstairs. The furniture in the room was very nice and basic for two girls sharing the space. Two desks with chairs, two bureaus, each with a large mirror on the wall above it, and two beds with a night table between the beds and a new clock radio sitting there. Every night, if we had school the next day, I would turn on the alarm to wake us up at 6 a.m. The radio was always tuned to WBZ 10.30 a.m. in Boston. They played the only top 40 rock and roll hits, told the news and weather report, which was really important because if our town canceled school for the day, we would hear the news for sure. The routine was always the same. I would turn the alarm off, but keep the station on so my sister could wake up and hear the radio. I would go then downstairs to wash up first, and next I would come back to the room and take my shoulder-length dark brown hair out of the hair rollers I had slept in and then get dressed for school. I came back to the room in about 20 minutes and started taking the rollers out of my hair as I looked at myself in the mirror and I could see my sister behind me still in bed. I wasn't sure if she was awake yet. All of a sudden, as I looked in the mirror, I stopped what I was doing and I tilted my head because I was hearing music and it was not WBZ. It was the only music in the room. It was the most beautiful music I had ever heard. Even to this day, it was heavenly music, harps, small tingling bells, violins, and above all, very high-pitched sounds, women singing not words, but beautiful long notes together. I was so moved by what I heard. It was unbelievable. The music lasted less than a minute, but definitely more than 30 seconds. 
I didn't want it to end. I yelled to my sister, can you hear the music? It's beautiful. Just then, it stopped. Then my sister says to me, why didn't you leave the radio on? It's off. I thought I had. I had done it endless times, but it was off. So my sister never heard it and didn't believe me. I was wide awake and never, ever would have done anything to affect my thinking. I was just getting ready for another day of school. I told no one else for many, many years, only my younger brother. He was sleeping downstairs back then in his room and was only about four and a half years old. He did not disbelieve me when I told him years ago. So, what was it? I wish I could hear it again. I can still hum the song they sung. And finally, why was I the only one who heard it? Thank you, Ellen. Man, it's incredible how different life used to be. Well, Ellen, I think I can answer a couple of those questions. Or at least offer up a few explanations that could explain what went down that day. Now, for beginners, our ears, just like our eyes, can be fooled by our brain. By now, any casual listener should know what pareidolia is. But essentially, it's the brain's ability to find patterns in our sight. One of the main patterns our brain searches for? Well, the human face and the human form. This is why there are so many blob squatches on the internet. A blob squatch is a grouping of pixels in an image that some researcher swears a Bigfoot. Your brain wants you to catch those patterns, so it feels very real to us. But in reality, it's just a blob of pixels that sort of look like a Bigfoot or a human or a human face. And believe it or not, the ears have the same issue. They call it audio pareidolia, and it can cause a person to think they are hearing voices singing, and even music. They say it's sort of like a TV playing in another room. You can just barely make it out. Now I've linked to a lot more information on the subject if you'd like to learn more. But if the radio was off, as Ellen seemed to imply, Perhaps that silence was all she needed to have a short auditory pareidolia experience while her sister slept soundly. Now another phenomenon that many experience, and after reading this I think I might also qualify, is called musical ear syndrome, where you hear similar sounds, music, voices, and singing that is often repeated or even shared with others. The difference between those two syndromes being that one has an external stimulus and the other is completely made up in our minds. But I have also heard of houses and vehicles becoming a receiver and a speaker for an AM or FM signal. Meaning that the signal is so strong that the wiring in the house receives the signal like an antenna and other parts of the home. For example, a ventilation system can become the speakers. You can literally hear an AM radio station playing through the register duct in your living room. I actually have a short audio clip that demonstrates this strange phenomenon in action. I found the clip on Reddit and I had to do some serious work to get the volume up high enough to hear it. I think it does its job in selling the effect. 
Now I'll leave you with one more question. What is it that you hear often on AM radio? Religious music with harps, bells, and choirs. So perhaps Ellen experienced a brief bout with some sort of radio interference. Now, of course, there is one other possible explanation I'd like to toss in the ring for your consideration. A psychic ability called clairaudience. What is clairaudience? So clairaudience is an extrasensory ability that involves hearing psychic information. So someone who is clairaudient can hear uh, music, sounds, or voices that are not of this physical dimension. To develop clairaudience, you want to start to pay attention to your own inner voice. Notice how you can hear the sound of your own thoughts. And then be aware that not every thought that you hear in this way is necessarily your own. Because in the same way that you can hear the sound of your own thoughts in your own mind, you can also hear the sound of music or voices or sounds sent to you from guides or your loved ones in the spirit world. But because they pop into your mind in the same way that your own thoughts do, you might not recognize at first that this is actually clairaudience. Just keep practicing meditation and quieting your mind and listening, and eventually you'll start to recognize the difference. Now that tidbit shared with us by at IntuitiveKB over on TikTok. So pluck out your favorite explanation for this one. And if none of these seem to suit you, head on over to the show notes at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and check out the concept of Kale She, or fairy music, as another possible explanation, albeit a terrifying one. Whatever the cause, it clearly had quite the effect on you, Ellen, and we certainly thank you for sharing the ordeal here with us. Now I have time to slip in one more before we hit that break. Unless, of course, you're one of those $1 or $5 patrons at Patreon who get to skip all of them. And for this one, we work our way to the northeastern part of this fine nation. Harlan from Maine. Welcome to the Digital Airwaves. Hello, Derek. My name is uh, Harlan. I hail from a small town in southern Maine called Elliot. It's a quiet town, like a military-type town, whatever. It's a, it's a very old town. The uh, house I grew up in was my great-grandmother's, and my father inherited from her when my, uh, my great-grandmother passed away. And we always walked in the, through the side door of the house. We rarely ever walked in through the front door. The only people who came in the front door was trick-or-treaters and people who'd never been in the house before, but... We always came through the side door. When you walked into the side door, there was a staircase that led down in the basement, right in front of you, and then on your left side was a staircase that led up into the house. That's like a three-stair staircase, anyway, that led into the kitchen. When you walked in the kitchen and looked to your right, there was a hallway that led, well, there's a long hallway, and at the end of the hallway was my bedroom, and then next to my bedroom was the bathroom on the right, and then across the bathroom was my parents' bedroom. And then further down the hallway, coming back to the kitchen, was uh, the living room, and then there was a closet. Well, anyway, my story takes place in the kitchen. Every morning, I had this habit of getting up in the morning, you know, groggily walking to the kitchen, and I would sit down on the floor heater in the kitchen, 
and the heater would kick on before I got into the kitchen. So I'd go sit there and because I'd be cold, it'd be nice and warm. So I'd sit on it and just wait for my mom to make me some cereal or uh, waffles or something. Yeah, I was just chilling there one day and I was waiting for my mom to make me whatever. And all of a sudden I looked down the hallway and I noticed something. It looked like my mom had, she had a white bathrobe when I was younger. So that's what she would wear and usually in the morning, but it looked like she had hung it up on the door of my bedroom, but my bedroom door wasn't closed. I could see into it. I could see my toys on the floor and everything. I could see my Patriots banner in the background. So I was confused. I was looking at it. I was like, why is my door closed? But then the more I looked at it, the more I realized it's not a bathroom. It's like a, it's like the shape of a human kind of. At first, I was like, wait, is that like... It, to me, for a second, it almost looked like an oversized owl. Like, the front of an owl. You know, when his chest is all puffed out? But then I realized it was just like a, a white human shape. I couldn't tell if this thing had hair or if it was a man or a woman. But it was just a white figure just kind of standing there. But it looked like it was wearing some kind of robe. Like a white robe. And I looked at it. And I asked my mom. I was like, mom, who's that? And... She was like, who's who, honey? And I looked at her, I was like, that, at the end of the hallway, when I looked back, you know, I looked at her to say that, at the end of the hallway, when I looked back, it was gone. The figure was gone, and I just sat there, I was like, what, where'd it go? Like, I was talking to myself, I wasn't talking out loud, but I was thinking to myself, like, where'd it go? And my mom came over, gave me my cereal, and, or whatever I was eating that day, and I just went on my day, I never really thought about it after that, until uh, years later. See, that, that took place when I was, like, about in kindergarten I think when I was in third grade we moved to our we moved to another house in Elliot the house I'm living in right now and a couple years after that I asked my mom I was like mom did you ever see like any ghosts or something when we were at Spinney Creek you know I just asked her I was like hey like did you ever see anything and she said that she had in there were days where she felt like she was being watched she was a staying at home mom so there would be some days where she'd be cleaning the kitchen or something and all of a sudden like the door would just slam shut or something and no one would be home like all of us kids would be at school or would be minding our own business or something and there are some days where she'd walk into like the living room or it either happened in the living room or in her bedroom it, it would just be cold you know like the the rooms would just be cold when you walked in anyway uh, I asked her I, I was like hey like well that's crazy because I told her my story and she said that my great-grandmother's husband, so my great-grandfather, which was my dad's grandfather, had passed away in that house actually. I think he was like in his 40s or something, but no need to get into the details. But anyway, he would fall asleep in the chair on Sundays or whatever or whenever he fell asleep in his chair and he would just take a nap and one day he just fell asleep and never woke up. You know, he just he had a heart attack in his sleep and died. My parents were big into the church. They were big into the congregation. And before I was born, they had a pastor spend the night at the house when they first moved in. I think he was speaking at the church or something. It wasn't like to have the house cleansed or anything, but he was just, he was a speaker that was coming to visit. And they asked my parents, hey, can you stay at your place? And that's what they did. And my mom told me that when the pastor was asleep, he was sleeping in my room then when I was in kindergarten, the room I was looking at. He was sleeping in my room, and something awoke him. It was just out of the blue. He just woke up and saw a white figure at the end of the bed. And being the pastor that he is or whatever, and being the Christian man, he said, Be gone, Jesus' name. And the figure just disappeared. 
And he said it just never came back. And he told my parents, he was like, hey, I don't want to alarm you guys or anything, but I'm just curious, has anyone died in this house? And my father told him, yeah, like my grandfather passed away in the living room. And he said, well, I saw a white apparition or like a ghostly figure in my room last night. And he was like, I cast it out and did all this other Christian stuff. And my parents were like, oh, no way, it's unbelievable. But yeah, that was uh, my, my first paranormal experience was uh, seeing that figure. So anyway, just uh, wanted to share my story with you. I've got plenty of stories. I'll definitely be calling back soon. But um, yeah, huge fan of the show. Really happy with what you're doing. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, man. I'll be sure to buy a t-shirt or a koozie. Have a good one. Well, there's a wild one for you. Thank you, Harlan. Another bedroom visitor-esque creature. This one sort of reminds me of the Toad Man from Season 13, Episode 8, from Anonymous in Ohio. But then again, it reminds me of many other eerie intruders. No, I'm not into religion so much, but I do think it's noteworthy that the clergyman too experienced something strange in the home. That second-level validation has to stand for something, and certainly helps suggest that whatever that thing was that Harlan saw, well, it might not have just been his imagination. So thank you again, sir, for sharing the submission. Now, if you will, please join me in the state of Massachusetts by way of Nicole Marie, down in Georgia. Hey Derek, this is Nicole Marie calling from Atlanta, Georgia. This story is actually from the small town where I grew up. I don't live in that state anymore. It's a very small town in southern Michigan on the border of Ohio, coincidentally. The house that I grew up in there, it was this really old Victorian It was built in the 1800s. I don't know exactly when. I've tried to research the history of the house, and I I can't really find anything. But we had some pretty scary stuff happen in that house. One of the uh, best stories from that time happened to my mom. She was sleeping at night, and my dad worked the night shift, so they would miss each other during the day and night. So my mom was sleeping while my dad was working, and she woke up because she heard crunching. And she looked towards her bedroom door, which was normally closed, and it was open. And my dad was standing in the doorway eating an apple. And she said, what are you doing home? And he just shrugged and walked away, walked down the stairs. And as they were catching each other and passing the next morning, she said, what were you doing? Why, why were you standing in the doorway? And he said, what are you talking about? I didn't come home last night. And um, she kind of freaked out because she most definitely heard the apple crunching and she could even smell it. And she said, well, you know, it was dark, so I didn't see your face, but it was it was your shape. It was your outline. I thought it was you. And of course, they panicked thinking, you know, someone had broken in and was eating an apple watching my mom sleep. But there was no evidence that anyone had broken in. There was no robbery. It was just a really weird thing that we always just kind of assumed, wow, that was probably a ghost. And so then something weird happened to me. Honestly, I don't know what to call it. I saw a creature in that house. I was standing in my brother's room. 
I think I was looking through his toy box and I heard a grunting noise and I looked over at the doorway and there was this little creature standing there and it was terrifying. It was probably three, three and a half feet tall and its skin was this brownish gray mottled color and it was slimy. Like it looked like snot. I know that sounds gross, but like that's the first word I would use to describe this thing is it looked gross and it had this big mouth full of sharp teeth, really long arms with these big claws on its hands. And I was so terrified I couldn't move. I was probably nine or 10 years old when this happened. And I know it's easy to say, well, you were a kid and your mind was playing tricks on you or you were imagining it, but it wasn't, it wasn't that. I know I saw what I saw and, you know, here I am 30 years later and I can still see it clear as day like it happened to me yesterday. So when I was able to, I took a breath to scream for help and it just vanished. It didn't run away. It didn't fly up into the air. It just wasn't there anymore. And it happened right in front of my eyes. And I was so scared. I didn't even want to leave the room. I was yelling for somebody to come get me because I was afraid if I walked into the hallway, it was going to jump on me. It was just terrifying. And it, it was just a couple of seconds that it happened. And I've never seen anything like that since. Many, many years later, when I had moved out of that house, I don't even live in that state anymore. I woke up one morning to a bunch of notifications on my phone that said, hey, hey, your, your house burned down. The house you grew up in, it burned down. And the first thing I thought of was, it was that thing. I think it was that thing. So in the meantime, I have spent many, many years trying to figure out what this thing was. I've talked to people in the paranormal community. I've talked to psychics. I've done a lot of research. And I think, finally, I realized what it was. I'm not positive, but I think it might have been a Pukwudgie. So this town that I grew up in was in Hillsdale County. And Hillsdale County has quite a lot of strange things going on there. It was home to the Potawatomi tribe. And in this town, there's Bobby's Lake, which was named after Chief Bobby's from the Potawatomi tribe. And, you know, the Europeans came in and took the land and settled the area. And ever since then, there's been a lot of creature sightings, mysterious drownings in the lake. There's been UFO sightings in 1966. There was a very famous UFO sighting there that was investigated by Dr. J. Allen Hynek himself. There's also a famous dirt road, church road, that's haunted. If you drive down that road at night, people say they see red eyes staring at them from the woods, and then you hear someone chasing you. And when you look, there's no one there. You just hear the footprints, the footsteps chasing your car. So it's a very weird area. It's kind of a textbook case of curse of the earth when people take these lands, and especially around large lakes for whatever reason that may be. So take all of that for what you will. I'm not positive, again, that it was a Pukwudgie I saw, but that thing has haunted my nightmares my whole life. And I do know that Pukwudgies are supposed to be more mischievous than dangerous, but some tribes do say that they are dangerous and they are known for fire in some of the research that I've done. So could that thing have burnt that house down? Maybe. I don't know. Weird stuff. Anyway, thank you for your podcast. Thanks for giving us a place to uh, tell all these crazy stories. Bye.
Thanks, Nicole Marie. Now, if this thing that Nicole Marie saw was indeed a buck wedgie, that story too, like Jim's Thunderbird, began as an indigenous legend. Tribes across the entire Northeast, down into the Great Lakes, all spoke of these devious entities, but none more so, perhaps, than the tribes just west of the area we now call Boston. Once you hear the details of this legend, it will be evident why tales of this creature, if they are just tales, continue to this day. The Pukwudgie are a tribe of cunning, evil, and mysterious troll-like creatures who are said to have haunted Native American tribes for hundreds of years. They would steal people's weapons and tools and clothing. Uh, sometimes they would start fires. And then they really became not just a nuisance, but, but very dangerous. They started kidnapping and killing the Native children. They started setting fire uh, to whole villages. And they drove the Native people into the forest and then killed them. Now that clip property of the television program, Freak Encounters. And don't think for one second that the mention of fire starting wasn't picked up on. My ears shot up when I heard that, just like yours probably did. And all those stories of this creature are centuries old. Like Nicole Marie, other people have seen it, and not all that long ago. This sighting was reported to Lon Strickler's Phantoms and Monsters just a few months back, in September of 2023, and was submitted by a resident of Massachusetts. Here's a story you can use if you want. I was in my teens, probably 14 or 15. I remember tossing and turning in my bed in the early morning. I opened my eyes for a split second while turning over like most people do, and I swear to God I saw a small gnome-slash-gremlin-like creature sitting on my shelf watching me, illuminated by the bluish early morning light coming through the windows. It was about one foot tall, grayish-brown, wearing just a simple tunic on its torso, and that's it. It looked a bit like the elf from the Harry Potter movies, but they hadn't been released yet. So that image couldn't have been implanted in my brain, as if I was just dreaming this little creature was sitting there. I remember it was sitting with its legs crisscrossed, with its right hand resting on its left knee. It waved at me very excitedly, and smiled a big toothy grin like he was some long-lost friend happy to see me. Looking back on it, it seemed genuinely nice. It didn't sense any negativity or evil from it at all. I remember seeing it, knowing it was awake and not thinking anything of it. Upon waking up, though, I was very creeped out. Now the witness goes on to say that his father is an avid arrowhead collector, meaning he finds stone tools from past native peoples in fields and creeks in the area. Something I also did when I lived back east. So it's proposed that those items may somehow have a connection with the Pukwudgies. And it makes me wonder if Nicole Marie's home didn't have a similar connection. And it also makes me wonder if I should be worried myself. As my collection's a mere five feet from me as I speak these words. So thank you again, Nicole Marie, for allowing us another deep dive into one of the East Coast's most infamous imps. 
Now folks, Halloween is over and the holidays are fast approaching. Get the perfect gift for that weirdo in your life. Visit our shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com and hit the shop tab. As far as I know, we're fully stocked and ready to meet your demands this winter. So pick up a piece of merchandise and help support the show today. And folks, that leaves us with one last entry. And this one was pushed to me by my wife, Sarah. And after listening to it, I now know why. If you're listening from the confines of a tent, trust me, keep your flashlight in hand. Tiffany, out of Kansas, welcome to the show. Hi, Derek. My name's Tiffany, and I'm from Kansas. Back in the summer of 2015, it was, I believe, my friend Laura and I decided to take a road trip to cover a bunch of ground on the West Coast. It was a two-week road trip starting in Kansas, going through Colorado, Utah, Washington, Oregon, and down the 101 in California. We camped almost every night, except when we got to cities where we had a friend that let us crash on their couch. But where this adventure took a weird turn was on Mount Hood, Oregon. We had a long day and night the night before in Portland, and on this day we decided we weren't really in the mood to drive all day and then worry about finding another campsite and setting up in the dark. So we just headed straight to the mountain and spent the day playing in the rivers, doing like a little kind of restorative day, eating, resting, that kind of thing. It was a pretty good sized mountain and it took us a while to drive up to a good campsite. We saw a couple of men fishing and one family camping at a completely different part of the mountain. Um, So we were pretty isolated when we found our spot. I think it was because it was a weekday There wasn't much camping happening. It was a pretty good distance from anyone because we were specifically looking for seclusion. We set up our tent, made a fire, had our dinner, talked a little bit and decided it was time for bed. Like I said, we were worn out. So Laura passed out almost as soon as she laid down and I'm laying there and I start to hear footsteps around the tent. It sounds like two people are walking around outside of our tent. Of course, this immediately freaks me out because we were very secluded and away from anyone. My heart's pumping. Don't want anyone coming into our tent, obviously, so I'm just extremely freaked out. I even try to softly shake Laura and wake her up, but she would not wake up. So I just laid there, petrified, listening. I started to hear voices and I was trying to listen to what they were saying and the voices started to sound weirdly familiar as well as the conversation. I was shocked, I was frozen, and I realized it was my voice and Laura's voice outside of the tent, having the same exact conversations we had been having that evening. I was so creeped out, I didn't want to bring any attention to myself, and I could not get Laura to wake up by softly nudging her. I ended up just laying there listening to the conversation until it faded out, but I had a really hard time falling asleep that night. I don't think I did until it was morning time. It was quite a while ago, so the details are a little fuzzy, but I know I did not feel rested for the next couple of days. (laughs) I ended up posting this story on Reddit a few years ago to see if anyone else had the same kind of experience. And while I didn't get anything quite like what happened to me, I did have a lot of responses about other weird things happening on Mount Hood. So pretty cool area, beautiful mountain. I would definitely go back. (laughs) 
Thanks for hearing my story, Derek. That's the sort of story that'll give you the chills. If not in the moment you hear it, then later, while you're laying in your own tent, listening to the sounds of the forest as the fire burns itself out just beyond the nylon walls. Now this story conjures up the thought of a residual haunting, an event in the past that still somehow loops itself back as if someone simply hit rewind on a projector. If multiple generations of a family report seeing the exact same ghost doing the exact same thing, well, chances are that would be a residual haunting. Now, thus far, we have not been able to prove this phenomenon to be true. But some researchers have suggested that certain minerals, such as quartz, could somehow store these images and project them back later. So, perhaps that area of Mount Hood has that specific mineral or combination of minerals that allows such a spectacle to occur. Then our next question would be, would that still work audibly? Because Tiffany heard her own ghost. She didn't see it. And of course, these are questions I'm not smart enough to answer myself. But this story does make me wonder how all this might possibly work. However you want to explain it, the story is creepy as hell. And we thank you, Tiffany, for sharing it with us. I want to leave you with one last question. How many of you would have opened the tent and looked outside? I'm pretty sure I would have. Though I'm not sure I would have been happy with what I saw. Thank you again, Tiffany, for sharing your entry. And folks, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Unless you're hip to the way we end things. I'll catch you back here next week with another terrifying installment. Until then, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please take the time to follow us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook and Instagram. Please rate and review the show wherever you can. Apple Podcast, Spotify, that sort of thing. And while you're at it, please join us over at YouTube. Now recently, I was lucky enough to be a guest on two separate podcasts. The Band Camp Podcast. And I joined my friends over at Bigfoot Collectors Club. We had a lot of fun with both those guest appearances. You can find links to each in the show notes. Don't forget, if you want to catch us on digital radio, Sundown 96.6, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m., and the UnX Network, Saturdays at 11 p.m. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Armchair Ambiance, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. And finally, folks, it's getting dark earlier and earlier out there. So when you're walking alone out there in it, it's always good practice to glance behind you every 30 seconds or so. Because you never know what might be following you home. Have yourself a good night.
Now tonight's top secret story was submitted to us by Tony in the Beaver State. Hey, this is Tony in Oregon. So I have dozens of stories I could share, and this one happens at a crescendo of high strangeness with a major sighting, so I figured I'd start here. I remember it was Earth Day in 2012, and I was up in Vancouver across the Columbia River one night at a park. Across the river, you could see Portland, and on the southern bank across from where I was standing, there was a big concert stretching all up and down the southern bank, crazy lights and groups of people raving with light sticks the whole nine yards. You could hear the music in the bass, even though I couldn't tell you who the musicians were. It seemed like a bunch of different acts performing. Now, from my vantage point, you could also see part of PDX Airport, and around the airport, there were several large spherical lights meandering about like fireflies in the darkness. Like most people, although the movements were odd, I just assumed I was looking at airplanes until one of the lights broke free from the group and started crossing the river, the sphere of it growing and growing until finally it manifested into what appeared to be an anti-grav dropship like you'd see in something like Firefly or Dune or any number of sci-fi movies, complete with blue glowing pads on the bottom. I got close enough that I could see the side doors were open, like looking in, into the side of a helicopter, and there were kids and parents, assumably, dangling their feet out the side like they were on a ride. A fully garbed soldier in fatigues and helmet stood near the kids like he was guarding them for this ride. At this point, I freaked out a bit and hid in the underbrush because I panicked, but the thing hovered near the park for a good few seconds before heading back across the river and transforming into a spherical light again as it got farther away. I've been obsessed with trying to figure out exactly what I was seeing with this light emerging from this concert. I've tried several times to Google what concert this might have been on this date, but I've come up empty-handed so far. Can't even find the location of the park again. Did I see something that exists in our world hidden in plain sight, or did I walk into some other version of reality where the U.S. military gives anti-grav dropship rides to kids at concerts? I don't know. Uh, maybe you have some insight or have some ideas on how that uh, that might have happened. Or maybe you can research some of the things that I was unable to uh, find in, in my uh, research. Now, the story of how I got to Vancouver and why I was in the park on that night is a whole other grab bag involving portals, Pleiadians, and even a possession. Just to name a few of the items on the high strange itinerary. But I'll have to call back later to fill in those blanks. Thanks. Uh, I love the podcast, and I really appreciate the platform you created. Tony sounds like quite the character. We thank him for calling in. Now, I'm not sure where to start with this story, so instead of theorizing, I'll simply ask the audience. Who of you has some insight of your own that might explain what Tony experienced? Reach out and let us know. In the meantime, we'll be waiting for Tony's Palladian story. Thank you again, sir, for sharing the call. Now, folks, this is the point where we pass the paywall. A mere $5 a month will get you access to the rest of this episode, where we have more ghostly visitors, doppelgangers, and a few hooded figures. Just visit our website, hit the Patreon tab, then sign up for that $5 level. You can even test drive it for free for seven days. And if you find yourself on a budget, don't forget you can still get all these episodes completely ad-free for only $1 a month. And that's practically nothing these days. 
So go to patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast. We sure do appreciate the support. It allows us to share calls like this one from Eric in Georgia. Hello, Derek. This is Eric. I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. You've had a couple of my calls when I was out in California, but this story actually relates to a call by a guy named Neil from Pittsburgh, and that's on a season 12, episode 24. And he was talking about a UFO with triangle lights, red and white. And that really shook me to my core because no one has ever described what